on Rad TV. I'm Rob from Rad Radio. Steve Mickelson from Mix Picks uh, with two K's in Mix and two K's in Picks uh, is also here as well. And uh, Steve, we got to start right away. Uh, Major League Baseball, the playoffs are underway. It's the best two out of three uh, with the wild card games. We had uh, all four of them play yesterday. Rangers shut out the Rays. Twins beat the Blue Jays. Diamondbacks beat the Brewers. Phillies beat the Marlins. What sticks out to you, Steve? Not a whole lot. I, uh, you know, Texas, Jordan Montgomery, you know, seven innings, no runs. Texas, which their pitching has been questionable, really stepped up and had a big game there. Phillies, no surprise. Twins broke their long losing streak. So that was nice to see. Hey, there's an echo here. <laughs> you got some echo? Yes, big time. I'm looking at my technical person to see what we... This is what's so great about doing things live is you just have to kind of on the <laughs> on the fly. You just kind of have to... But no, we can hear a little bit of it with you. And I, but with, to my non-technical ears, I'm like, okay, the internet's a little weird, but I don't know what the hell is it, going on. Steve, oh. it looks like maybe your mic isn't on. Well, that might would be, be Might be unplugged and plugged back in. Okay. Yeah, this this is what makes the the podcast more fun if you're watching it because you get to see Steve get up from his desk and have to go around and try to figure out how to uh, unplug the uh, the the microphone. Very technical. Yeah, yes. I mean, you, and you always start with the turn it off and turn it on thing. By the way, if you've never listened to the Mixed Picks podcast, that voice is Brandon, the uh, the producer. Hi. Uh, who's always here behind the scenes, uh, and every now and then you'll hear him yell for the Raiders when he's enthusiastic about them, which he is no longer this year. Not lately, as I under as I understand. No. We will be talking about the dumpster fire that is the Raiders uh, eventually with Steve. And we will get back to the Major League Baseball playoffs as soon as he unplugs and plugs back in and reboots and such. Oh, how, there he is. How is it sounding there, Steve? I'm hoping it's a lot. Nope, it still has an echo, but ah. <laughs> I mean, we could try to get through it. So, you know, back to the Twins. The Twins postseason, they'd just been awful. Big win there. Uh, Lopez threw great. The echo went away. I don't know if you did <laughs> something there, but it went away, which is a lot better. Good. You know, but but no real surprises here. What about the fact, though, you, you have been a little high on the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays were the one team you thought could come out of the wild card round and make a run. Yeah, but, you know, Royce Lewis, two homers yesterday. The Blue Jays' offense is really underachieved all year. They have a lot of big bats with Guerrero, Springer, in that, you know, Bo Bichette in that lineup, and they just haven't produced to the level that was expected the entire season. Their pitching has surprisingly been a lot better than people had thought, uh, but, you know, they didn't score any runs. A one run yesterday. They can't get this offense figured out. They're going to go away quickly. And I wasn't giving a whole lot of, you know, love to the Twins there because their postseason record last many, many years, what was it, lost like 18 straight or something like that. So it was good to see the Twins get a win. And, of course, everybody that lost yesterday, if they lose today, that's it. It's over. They're all playing today uh, at noon uh, if you're in the Pacific time zone. Uh, Texas is at Tampa Bay. Toronto is at Minnesota at 1.30. Arizona's at Milwaukee at 4. Miami's at Philadelphia at 5. Now, uh, one of the things, Steve, that I noticed, too, with the, the, the season ending is that Major League Baseball announced that more than 70 million fans attended baseball games for the first time in six years, that's a post-pandemic rebound. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said getting back above 70 million is an accomplishment for us. Average attendance this season was 29,176, still below the record high in 07, but attendance at all major professional sports has been dwindling for about 15 years. That's a widely misreported story. As people get more and more comfortable 
watching from home, realizing that many sports are better at home. They're really expensive to go to, et cetera. So that's not surprising. And a lot of people are giving credit to the pitch clock. The average time of a nine-inning major league game dropped to two hours and 40 minutes in the first year of the pitch clock, a 24-minute decrease, and it resulted in a spike in batting average and the most stolen bases in nearly 40 years. I don't know if you and I have had a chance to do a deep dive on the pitch clock. What is your opinion of it? Obviously, shorter games seem better for almost everybody, but has it ruined the game at all? I don't think it's ruined the game at all. I think it's made it a little bit more interesting because it's speeding it up. It's putting more balls in play. A, a big part that, that to me, you know, everyone's given all the credit to the pitch clock. I give some credit to the bigger bases. Yes, there's more stolen bases. Teams are attempting to steal more bases, but you're also willing to take the extra base, go first to third on that base hit. So we're seeing a lot more action on the base paths. And to me, that makes the game a lot more exciting than just sitting back. It's a strikeout. It's a walk. It's a home run and not a whole lot of anything, you know, minute and a half in between pitches. So I think it's a combination of the two. I love the pitch clock because it has sped up the game and that has been so important you know not only being at the game but if you're sitting there watching on tv and i watch most all of the games on tv as you said ticket prices have gone through the roof and you can see the game a lot better on tv even though i like baseball in person but the pitch clock has greatly helped it i just wish we'd get back to the to the extra innings back to the normal rules. Yeah. That's the one thing that still sits there with that runner on second base during the regular season. I understand it. You you don't want to blow your bullpens out, but man, I'm just not a fan of that runner on second base. Now this is going to seem like a kind of out there question, but there's a method to the madness. Who, who if I was going to ask you the, the, the team or the market or a couple of them that you think have the worst fans, and I don't mean like they're raucous or they're rowdy. I mean like they're just not loyal or, or, or however you would define that. Who would you throw out there? I don't know if it's, it's if it's fair, for example, to say the Oakland A's fans because they've been so abused. And then, I mean, I don't know why anyone would go to an Oakland A's game and I'm an A's fan. But who, who would you throw out there? I think the number one has to be the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> I mean, this team wins and has been winning consistently and they still can't put fans in the stands. I think they drew 19,000 people to the game yesterday. So it's not a case of, Oh, if they win, they support them. Like I've seen in San Diego with the chargers prior to the Padres, although the Padres fan base has gotten a lot of better because they showed up this year and the Padres at no time were ever in it. But to me, Tampa Bay has got to be the worst because even though they're winning now, they still don't come out and support this team. The, the problem with the A's, and and I put the A's up there, but I think the problem has been that ballpark forever. I, I mean, it just is not a good ballpark. They've known for 60 years they have to get a new ballpark. They've done absolutely nothing to address it. You know, now the A's are leaving. The Raiders left. It, so I don't blame the A's fan base. I blame the city of Oakland for not being able to figure this out and build a real stadium and keep those two teams because I think the fan base was really loyal if you look at it I, I think the fan base was there it's just the city let them down the uh, the Oakland Coliseum was the stadium of my youth uh, there were a few years there uh, in my uh, my tween years 
where my family and I, we had we had season tickets, and it was just a matter of, am I going with mom or am I going with dad? And that would be like mid-'80s and late-'80s. And at that time, the stadium was perfectly fine. And then all of those revolutionary stadiums, I think Camden Yards was like probably the first one I remember in Baltimore, started to pop up, and you start to look around the Coliseum, and now we're in the early-'90s going, this place needs to be needs a facelift. And here we are 30 years later, and they never did anything. And that's a big part of it, and that is along with you know gutting the team in the last couple of years. And that's why I didn't think it was fair uh, to put the A's in there as the fan base. I agree with everything you said, but it's like, you know, this is why I love doing the show with you. We think so much alike because, yes, the correct answer was the Tampa Bay Rays, who did draw, you almost had it exactly right because you rounded down, 19,704 fans. That is the lowest for a postseason game since the 1919 World Series. And the Rays routinely rank among baseball's lowest in home attendance, only the Royals, Marlins, and A's have worse uh, average attendance after this season. So you got to give it to the Rays because they got to the postseason. And the fans still don't care. <laughs> Correct. And, you know, they've been to the postseason the last several years. They have overproduced. You go into the season and it's like, hey, they're a good team, but, you know, they're really not one of the elite teams. And they've been that for the last several years, and they still can't draw the fan base. So – to, to me, that's the team that needs to move out, but I believe they have a new stadium coming. Yes. You know, they've reached an agreement to build a new stadium. I don't think the stadium's the issue, even though I'm not a fan of the ballpark at all with the catwalks over the outfield and <laughs> balls can hit the catwalks in play. So, you know, being a player, that's a unique ballpark in itself, but I don't really think the ballpark's as much of an issue as the people think. I, I think it's just the fan base and, and you know, they just – other things to do. They say, you know, when the Yankees come to town, they draw more Yankees fans than Rays fans. Well, you know, that's the New Yorkers retiring down into Florida. Well, that's not going to change. They're still going to be Yankee fans. I do love uh, at Tampa Bay almost knowing their limitations because they do have plans to build a new ballpark to replace Tropicana Field, but it's going to be a 30,000 seat ballpark. So they're aiming low, knowing that if, hey, if we get 19,000, it looks like we're over 50%. Good for us. Uh, whenever any season ends, uh, it doesn't matter uh, what the sport is, you start to get the the onslaught of coaches or managers either leaving or getting fired. For baseball, the Giants fired manager Gabe Kapler after a four-year tenure. The New York Mets and Buck Showalter have departed after uh, a miserably disastrous uh, season. Phil Nevin will not return as manager of the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Los Angeles will now be going through its fourth manager in six years since the departure of Mike Sosha. I never understood why he left anyways after 19 years. And Terry Francona retired after the Cleveland Guardians game. I don't think that's official yet, but everybody knows he's done. Any of those stick out to you? No, the Gabe Kapler really doesn't surprise me. I was not a big fan of that hiring in the first place. You know, Kapler got a, a lot of criticism in Philadelphia due to his misuse of the bullpen and they felt that he was relying, even though analytics are a big part, he was relying way too much on analytics as opposed to, you know, watching the game and, and making decisions based on what he sees on the field. Terry Francona, he's, you know, been facing health issues for the last several years. Great manager. I think he should have retired with the Red Sox. I don't think the Red Sox should ever let, have let him go after he won a World Series for them. You know, Buck Showalter, that Mets team just didn't perform at all. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. I like Buck Schalter. I think he's one of the better managers in baseball. And Phil Nevin, I just, you know, he was out of his element. So him going away with the Angels. But 
you got to ask who's going to come in and do a better job. They have Mike Trout. They had Shohei Otani. They had two of the best players in the game, and they could never even compete really to be a 500 team. That's not so much the manager's issue. That's the GM and the owner's issue on not being able to put a product on the team beyond those two players. Yeah, the Angels are like, they're such a weird Bermuda Triangle of baseball where they have all of this money, they get these these big-name stars, and they just can't. And not only do they not put it together, they at times they fail miserably. And I know Trout had his injuries, and then Shohei got hurt at the end of the year, but it seems like maybe that's – I don't remember the circumstances under which Socha left – I don't know if he saw the writing on the wall or, or what was going on there, but maybe he really because I, I I mean, Socha had the job for 19 years. I thought he did a really good job, and I, I'm with you. I, I Who's liked, going to? I liked Socha as the manager. Uh, his criticism started falling into as the games become so much more about analytics. Everyone was on him because oh, he manages more by what he sees, and being the ex ball player, he's too old school. He doesn't embrace the analytics like he's supposed to. And that was the big knock on Socha. And I think he just had enough and he walked away saying, look, I understand the analytics, but analytics can't drive every single decision you make. We see that time and time again in these games. The analytics are great. It's great to have an idea of what most likely the other team is going to do, but to base every decision on it. And I can roll back a few years back and you, you looked at the, the Dodgers playing the Red Sox in the World Series. Oh, okay. The Red Sox are going to throw a left-handed starter. Well, all the power for the Dodgers was left-handed. So we're going to sit all of our best players, play all of our backups because we believe in this platoon system. I would start a left-hander every game <laughs> if it means taking your starting lineup and your power out of the lineup. And those are things that you would see that, okay, Yes, I understand the analytics, but come on. We're in the postseason. We're in the World Series. You have to play your best players. You can't be platooning and letting your best players sit on the bench. You can uh, email us throughout the show, rad at radradio.com. We got this note from Adam. says, Rob, when I first saw Steve on Rad TV this morning, I saw the red, and I thought he was decked out in 49er gear. And I thought, yes, Steve, welcome to rooting for a successful team. But then I realized it's Detroit Red Wing gear. Yeah, I honestly do not own anything of the San Francisco 49ers. I, I don't even have a bobblehead, I don't believe. What and what is the what is the story? I know I've heard it before. You're a you're a you're a Lions fan, you're a Red Wings fan, but then you're a Red Sox fan. How did that happen? I, I can't fully explain it. I have been a Red Sox fan my entire life. The Tigers are the one team from that area that I've never supported. I never fully understood. My mom will say because it was my grandfather who was a Red Sox fan. But when I knew my grandfather, because they lived up kind of close to Minnesota, he was a Minnesota Twins fan, and I would sit on his lap and watch the Minnesota Twins play. So I never even knew he was a Red Sox fan until my mom said that. So it's just one of those things I've always been drawn to the Red Sox and uh, everything else is Detroit. Though. Yeah, I didn't mention that, that you are a Pistons fan, which comes up anytime I bring up Michael Jordan and I see the dark side of Steve Mickelson come out whenever we come up with the Bulls and, and how much I love Jordan and the Bulls and the story. And I start getting these rage texts from you for you, for you your version of rage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting, and this goes back to the Doug Collins and the Michael Jordan, but the story was, you know, Billy Lambeer, 
get, gets in a lot of trouble. But Billy Lambert was like one of the only players whose father made more money than he did while he was playing in the NBA. And the Pistons constantly beat the Bulls and they could never understand why. And Collins put a camera on Bill Lambert just to watch him. What's he do? What does he do? And they found as the game would go on, Lambert would constantly grab different pressure points on players and, and just would do it the whole game long. Nobody thought a whole bunch about it, but then they went and analyzed it. It was stuff that like draws a little bit of energy away from that player. And they said, by the end of the game, the players would be a little bit more tired because he was constantly grabbing, you know, which is where his dirty player among other things comes into. Um, they said, once they figured that out, granted they had moved on to, you know, to Phil Jackson after that, but that was one of the things they kept a close eye on so that Bill Ambeer couldn't constantly be grabbing them throughout <laughs> the game. Every time they'd go up for a rebound or go for a loose ball or whatever it was. Uh, let's get to uh, college football, Steve. Uh, Colorado coach Deion Sanders and the Buffaloes, they lost 42-6 to two weeks ago at Oregon. USC got out to a 34-7 lead on Saturday, and then quarterback Shadir Sanders led a comeback. They got to 48-41, well within the spread. And uh, you had said last week, look, if they can if they can make it close, if they can keep it within the spread, they can keep some credibility going. Uh, but they did lose. A win is a win. Uh, but it, the Buffalo story, it still has legs to me, it feels like. And I think you feel more like, nah, not so much. Well, they should be favorites in the next two games. This week, they're at Arizona State. They're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Next week, they're at home against Stanford. These are two winnable games, which puts them at five and two. Again, they're still in the picture. But then they go at UCLA, and then they're home against Oregon State. Most likely, they're going to lose those two, which drops us down to, you know, five and four. So this team is a six-and-six team, seven-and-five if they have a really good season. But again, everybody forgets this is a one-win team, <laughs> and I think 75% of their players are now gone. I mean, when Dion came in, he cleaned house. Look, you're not playing for me. I'm bringing in through this transfer portal all these other players. Feel free. Go find another university to play for. And he changed the culture there. He changed the roster. But it's hard to do in one year to turn your team from – one of the worst in all of college football to one of the better teams. So you have to give him, he gets to six wins. It's really an amazing season. Well, and I, and I think that's part of why I think it still has legs for a while. Cause yeah, if they go back to five and two, then if once again, the hype starts and you're right after that, it doesn't look, it doesn't look great, but, but you were brought up uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we we kind of went through some of the numbers about the changes that Dion has already brought just in terms of the merchandising and things like that. The USA Today uh, did a, a study. It's not scientific, but I believe it. Uh, they did a story that uh, about Colorado. They're paying Dion $29.5 million over five years. That was the initial deal. And uh, when they announced it, Colorado Athletic Director Rick George at the time was asked, how did you come up with this money? And he said, we didn't. We don't have it. But I know we will. Here it is 10 months later. And according to a conservative estimate compiled by USA Today Sports, with increases in football ticket sales from last year, increases in donations, the estimated value of the increased media exposure, and then, of course, all of the merchandise, the estimated return value on investment in one month into his first season for Deion Sanders is $280 million. I buy that. I mean, that makes sense to me. 
$280 million, and he's only getting paid $29.5 million over five years. Hmm. The university has done really well with that contract. And, and to your point, they were a one-win, meaningless joke a year ago, and now you can't get them off the TV on Saturday, let alone most other days, because Dion will go anywhere and do media. Absolutely. He's not prime time, you know, for no reason. He, he's earned that in every way. You know, this morning I, I heard a story that someone was asking, will he sign a lifetime contract with Colorado? And, and he's like, you know, I have no interest. And at first, Dion's set for life. Right. I think Dion has bigger, you know, aspirations than being the Colorado Buffaloes coach. My question to you is how long do you think it'll be before he goes to the NFL? I know. And and I, I, I do wonder about that. We talked a little bit on Monday about the X factor of does Shadur go to the NFL next year. Dion says, I don't want you to. I want you to stay. Well, I mean, if Shadour is still being mentioned as a first-round draft pick, he's his own man, and he and who knows if he and Dion might change their mind privately or whatever. If Shadour goes, okay, if, if Dion stays, we both know he just goes to the portal and he gets a new quarterback. If he gets, like you said, if he gets to six wins or by some miracle seven, like let's say he pulls out one of these upsets, how does an NFL team, I, I still say how does an NFL team not even call him? And depending on what team it is, I wouldn't be surprised if he went. And he always has the same answer. He gave it in the 60 Minutes interview. He's given it his whole career. I'm going where God called me. I'm doing what I'm being called to do. It's not about leaving Colorado. It's about being called to do this. I would not be surprised if he was in the NFL next year. Would you? I I believe he's more likely to be in the NFL next year than not. He, he is the hottest coach on the market right now. You can see what he does for the fan base, merchandise. I mean, two hundred ninety million or whatever you said, two hundred eighty million immediately. <laughs> you can't look away from that. You would sell season tickets. And here's the thing about that part too: is not only does he not need the money, he's made plenty of money in his career, but he can go to the NFL. Let's say that he's really not that good. At this point, he can go back to college football. He's going to name the university really for the most part where he wants to go. Granted, there has to be the opening, but he could go to the Michigans, the Texases, you know, Alabama. He can go to one of the top programs. And then at that point, it's that, look, I really enjoyed college football a lot better than pro football. And then he can sign a longer term deal with college football. The problem is if he stays at Buffalo and he's not able to continue improving this team, his star is going to get a little bit dimmer right. and it's not going to be as bright. So to me, I think the logical step right now would be at the end of the year, but it has to be the right situation. Go to the NFL, go find out what it's like, because ultimately that's every coach's dream. And I, I still think, I think Shadur is the linchpin in this. I think if Shadur stays, Dion might stay because he believes he he will do far better in a second season. But but what you said a couple of weeks ago, I think, is the ultimate thing. Dion wants to coach Shadur in the pros, and I still love the scenario we came up with. If somehow Shadur winds up as the quarterback and Dion winds up as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, because that's where that family belongs. That was just... well, that that would be in <laughs> that that would be so much fun to watch. I, I mean, you know, the Raiders already have you know Raider Nation already is worldwide but then if you add Dion into that mix oh my gosh it'd be so much fun to watch and then if he can be successful and get this 
team back to where it was in their glory days for the 60s, 70s, and 80s. You know, one of the top teams in the NFL. Man, he'd be living life large. And to do it in Las Vegas, it's the perfect place. We 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 by the way, we talked about uh, uh, the uh, the Travis Hunter story. Uh, he's the two-way uh, star for the Colorado Buffaloes. He got a lacerated liver uh, by uh, Henry Blackburn, the Colorado State defensive back. And we talked about the hit when it happened. And uh, then a week ago today, after we did our podcast, uh, it came out that uh, Travis invited Henry for a bowling outing that raised money for charity and basically came out and said, look, it's one thing it's football. Let bygones be bygones. We're going to do this thing, and we're going to raise money. And I just thought, and I think you, you and I had the same thought, that is such a class act move. We need more of that in sports. And I, you and I agree there's no way Dion didn't play a role in that, whether overtly or just by leading by example. And I think that's just such a cool story. I had to mention it again. Uh, I, I agree with you. It, you know, we, we see these things happen. And it is, you know, players get caught up in the moment. And sometimes they do stupid things. But this is an opportunity. You know, the fans, you can't be overreacting. Death threats? I mean, really, it's a game. I mean, ultimately, it's a game. Yes, we all want our teams to win. But, you know, yes, I felt it, and I said it at the time. One, he should have been kicked out. And, and you know, we sit there and we throw players out for targeting and they get, you know, suspended for the rest of the game. And here's one that was blatant. And he got the 15 yards, but because it doesn't fall under the targeting rule, they, they didn't throw him out. You know, the, the, the proper... You know, penalty for me was the 15-yard unnecessary, throw the guy out of the game, move on. And unfortunately, that's not what happened. But what a great way to, you know, calm the situation down. Here it is, raise for charity. And it brings that humanity part of the game back to it. Look, we still need to be friends off the field. We still need to, you know, help each other out. No one's trying to hurt anyone intentionally. You have to believe and just what a great way to, you know, finish that story off. Well, you know, you kind of you kind of alluded to it. And from a fan perspective, this is a very disturbing story in the NFL so far this year. We're having every weekend a major brawl in the stands that goes viral. We had a New England Patriots fan who was beaten to death by a Dolphins fan. We've had a few viral videos of female uh, fans. I think it was uh, it was Miami and, and, and the Broncos fans, I think. We had a, a big brawl in the uh, the Niners-Giants Thursday night game, and there was another one this week. It, uh, Steve, this is not good. This is not why we go to sporting events. And it's in fact, this is one of the reasons I not I don't go to a lot of sporting events, not only because I enjoy watching it in my house with my wife more, but even, I, I'm, I don't necessarily feel overly safe at these games these days. It's a shame because everyone should be able to go to the games, support the teams that they want. And at the end of the day, again, it's a game. Come on. Yeah. You know, and, and you see these different things. You, you saw the Giants fan who pretty much lost his life in a sense, uh, you know, get beat up in the parking lot. And I forget what yeah. his name Brian was. Brian Stowe, I think it was. Right. right. The, the, uh, the, the, you know, ambulance tech, whatever. And, and, and it's just, it, it's a shame. I mean, I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm sorry. I believe I should be able to go to a game in Yankee Stadium and wear my Red Sox gear. Now, as a fan, I hope that I'm smart enough to not antagonize the, the Yankee fans, and I need to be smart about it. But just because I'm wearing a Red Sox hat or a jersey doesn't permit people to dump beer on me, throw food at me, and all these other things. Because, again, at the end of the day, 
It's a game. And I would hope that you could wear Yankees gear into Red Sox, into Fenway Park. And I've been to two uh, in Fenway Park, Yankees Red Sox game. And I was astounded by how many Aaron Judge jerseys there were, which, <laughs> you know, he's one of the most popular players. And maybe I've just been very lucky in the two games, but no one harassed the Yankee fans. Uh, it, that's, it, that's... I was expecting it because you hear all the stories about Boston and I was expecting it and no one harassed them. They all enjoy the games and, and you know, Aaron judge struck out. So there was a few <laughs> cheers for that part, but we're all paying money to go to the games. They are our favorite teams. We have every right to support our team and enjoy the game. Let's backtrack a little bit to a potentially dirty hits. Louisiana Tech linebacker Brevin Randall was suspended indefinitely after he stomped on the back of the neck of UTEP offensive lineman Stephen Hubbard during Friday night's game. Though he wasn't penalized during the game, but cameras caught the incident, and then that sparked the uproar on social media, and he was suspended by the team. Louisiana Tech Athletics Director Eric Wood said in a statement Saturday, that Brevin acknowledges his action was wrong and understands the consequence of that action. Smart move by Louisiana Tech, right? Absolutely. I, I agree with it entirely. I, I watched it. You know, he was like on the guy late. He gets up and then just, you can see it, just purposely stomps, you know, on his neck, totally uncalled for. And again, those are things that are, that, are intolerable in the game. You, you can't have that, period. The fact that the university stepped up and said, you know what, we don't want a player like that representing our team. I, I wish more schools would do that. You know, we, we talk about these athletes and we fall into these different things and we see bad behavior and we always tend to go to it, it appears, if you can help us win, we're willing to overlook these different things. I just believe these universities, these professional teams need to look at it and say, look, we're a brand. We're we're appealing to fans worldwide. There are certain things we just cannot tolerate. And when things like this happen, I, I was glad to see they you look, you're suspended indefinitely. You're he's a senior. He's never gonna play another game, but he made a very bad decision. And and while I do believe in second chances. Things like this, which could really hurt a player, to me, don't necessarily deserve that second chance. You know, the other thing that gets lost in there, and, and for a lot of people, sounds Disney, Pollyanna-ish. We're also dealing with very young men who we are trying to help become functioning members of society, whether they're going to go to the NFL or whether they're just going to go out in the real world after playing college. And he needs to know you can't act that way. You can't react that way. You can't behave that way. And that is still part of the obligation of what colleges need to be focusing on. Correct. It's that take responsibility for your actions, good or bad, own them, take responsibility. And if it's something that you did bad, look, accept your punishment, learn from it. That's what everything in life, you know, we all make mistakes, but it's, are you able to learn from it and become a better person? And and hopefully he will. And you know what? I, I'm thinking of my wife right now because I'm sure she's not watching. We're too sports-oriented for, for her. But I bet uh, the women that are watching, this is something that men are really bad at. And women, when they hear us talk like that, they're like, yeah, and could you learn it a little earlier? Because if you could just acknowledge what you did wrong and maybe apologize a little quicker, we could be a lot happier along the way. Because it's, it's something about us guys, and especially athletic guys. I mean, I, it sounds a little weird, but it, I don't think it's too much psychobabble. 
I, it's it's very true. You, you know, you look at yourself back when you were like 20, 21, no, 22, no, don't make and me. you look at yourself today. And, and again, you, you don't really want to go back because there were a lot of things that, yeah, I needed to grow up. But, but then be thankful that you did grow up and you accepted responsibility and understand that all of these experiences help make you the person you are today. Exactly. Now, when you were going through your Deion Sanders scenario, he can go to the pros. Even if he's not good in the pros, he can always come back. He can write his ticket to wherever he wants to play. And you were starting to rattle off some of the big names, big systems, big programs. Uh, one of them that popped into my mind is LSU because they seem like they're in dumpster fire territory. They lost 55-49 to Ole Miss, and they are always in the conversation about national champions, one of the best programs, and they seem to be flailing uh, right now. Do you agree? Yeah, they're sitting at 3-2, and two, but they, they can salvage this season. They're playing at Missouri this week. They're on the road. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Then they play at Auburn uh, at home and then Army. You know, with that, they could easily get to six and two and, and their season while they're not going to play for the championship, six and two going into Alabama in week nines, not a bad season, not where they'd hope to be because they were hoping to be one of the top five teams in the nation. But you go on and you go nine and three. It, it's not a total disaster. So it, 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 is LSU at the point right now? This is what Brian Kelly's second year. Yes. Uh, is Are they like, look, as long as we get in a bowl game, we're happy, and next year you've got to get us into the championship mix? Yeah, I think you want to be in a New Year's bowl game. You don't want to end up in, like, the Blue Bonnet Bowl <laughs> type of thing. You know, something like that. Oh, hey, yeah, we're 6-5 and five playing a 6-6 six and six team. But as long as he can get into a good bowl game, you know, a New Year's Day type of game, Year three is the where it's all going to be at. He, you better be an elite program by the time he rolls into year three, and and that's his job because that's the expectations. You're LSU. It's you know it's like Texas A&M, which is having their issues as well. And man, I'd love to see Dion in a Texas, you know, you know <laughs> Texas A&M or something like that. I would love to see Dion coaching a major university in Texas when he comes out of the NFL. Uh, the AP college football poll is out. Georgia's still number one. They got about half of the 62 possible votes, so they're still number one, 16 straight weeks. Michigan do, Texas three, Ohio State four. You like those? Yeah, it, it's it's still young. The, the thing that surprised me when you look at the poll, I mean, Georgia's the only SEC in the top 10. That That's usually never the case. Normally the SEC has two of the top four. You look at the Big Ten, Michigan 2, Ohio State 4, Penn State 6. They have three in the top six. No one ever views the Big Ten as, you know, the power conference, but they have three in the top six there. You got the Pac-12, which always doesn't get the respect because they play on the West Coast. So a lot of East Coast players, you know, the writers, et cetera, don't really get to see them. They're sitting at 7, 8, 9. So the fact that the Pac-12 has more teams in the top 10 than the SEC is pretty surprising. Let's jump to the NFL. We're going to stay with potentially dirty hits. We'll start with uh, Monday Night Football. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith limped off the field, missed two series late in the first half Monday night after a tackle near the sideline by New York Giants linebacker Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Geno injured his knee on the play, remained in the game for one more play before getting attended to in the medical tent and made his displeasure known immediately. In fact, he got flagged for taunting when he returned to the game in the third quarter, and he was still upset after the game. 
uh, even though the Seahawks won as they go into their first uh, their bye week, calling it a dirty play. Quote, you guys can see it, he said to the media. It was a dirty play. It's no place for in this sport for that, and hopefully something happens. I don't respect that type of stuff. There's no need for that type of stuff. There's no need to take shots at guys running out of bounds on the sidelines. Now, Steve, I've watched this play a number of times. And apparently what a lot of people are focusing on is the horse collar aspect of it. And, and I, what I was focusing on first was, well, now, wait a minute. Gino's upright. He ain't trying to slide. Yes, he's going out of bounds. There is a little bit of that centrifugal force thing going on uh, with Isaiah as he comes in. They get their legs wrapped up, but that wasn't dirty. That was just how they're falling. I mean, I'll give you a chance to, to tell me why it's dirty if you think it is. I mean, it might be somewhat late, but did you think that was dirty, dirty? I thought that was a clean hit in every bit. First of all, they're running at full speed. He goes into his tackle, and they're inside of the hash marks on the sideline. So it's not like it was right at the sidelines. He's got one foot in the air, already going out of bounds. He is still on the field moving forward. If Geno Smith doesn't like it, here's a thought. Slide. Here's a thought. Go out of bounds two yards earlier you avoid it, but he was fighting for every yard. And I get that. I respect that. Right. But then when the guy makes the tackle, you can't be calling it a dirty hit because you're saying, oh, well, I'm going out of bounds. Give yourself up earlier. They allow the sliding in the NFL. If he had even started going into the slide and then he gets hit, great. It's 15 more yards because you get the unnecessary hit on the quarterback. Yep. But that wasn't even like he was going out of bounds. I, I've watched that several times. I still entirely disagree with Geno Smith. I, I don't think it was a dirty hit in any way. It was part of the action. And to me, it's all on Geno Smith. I get this great visual of you and I sitting in our home offices yesterday at our laptops doing the same thing, just hitting replay, replay, going, I don't see it. I don't see it. It's not dirty. By the way, same thing Isaiah Simmons uh, he did not care about Geno's comments. He said, "Quote: We're playing football. He's got. He's mad that he got hit. Why do most quarterback? What do? Sorry. What do most quarterbacks do when they don't want to get hit? They go down. They slide. I don't really know what else to tell him about that. Simmons insists it was clean and that he started the tackle inbounds. And it sounds like we're on Team Isaiah at this point. Meanwhile, Kevin. I'm sorry, Keith Smith of the Atlanta Falcons, the fullback." received an $87,000 fine for unnecessary roughness for a hit from last week's game against your Detroit Lions, Steve. The play in question happened during a kick return. No flag thrown on the play, but Smith, who appeared to lead with his helmet as he blocked Detroit's Zonovan Knight, the Lions running back, was knocked to the ground during the play. This is the largest fine of the season for a play that was not flagged. Is this the right move of the NFL to go back and say, well, we didn't flag it, but we're going to fine you for it anyways? I I agree with the NFL going back and doing that because they have to set a present. Look, these are the things that are not acceptable. We don't just look at plays that get penalties because you can't expect the referees, umpires to make every single call and to see everything. When I watch it, and I watched the game live, I didn't see it because it happened away from the ball. So So we never saw it. They didn't talk about it during the game, to my knowledge. But when you watch it, the, the biggest problem I have with it is Keith Smith, as the guy's coming down, he actually uses his head, you know, as a battery ground, but he 
somewhat launches himself. And that's the rule I would like to put in. If you say a, see a player who's launching, as in using his legs to springboard up off the ground or even just, you know, coming up like that, that to me is the dangerous part. He took it. He used his helmet. He drilled him right under the face mask, you know, right in that area, which again is not where you want to. I mean, that's like a knockout blow in a boxing ring. And, and to me, I'm glad to see the NFL is reviewing these things because they're not going to flag every single thing because they can't see everything on a field if you're the referee. So I like that fact. And in hindsight, looking back, I am glad the NFL is looking because those are the things you have to discourage. Oh, you didn't get a penalty, so it should be clean. No, 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 no. You can't be doing that because those are the things that really injure players. Your NFL career is so short. You don't want to be. And this gets into the Geno Smith. Simmons wasn't trying to hurt him. He was just trying to make a tackle because Geno Smith was still moving forward. And in this situation, to me, you don't lower your helmet. You don't launch unless you're really trying to, to bring a, you know, a knockout blow. And, and, and I have a problem with that. And I'm glad he did get the big fine. Would you like plays like this to be reviewable? Coaches have so many eyes, so many cameras. They knew they, they could figure out that it had happened. Is that do we want to go down the road? Uh, I mean, Pete Carroll, if, if the if everybody's on the same page with us, he would have lost that challenge. But uh, the Lions would have won theirs because uh, we're on the same page with that. Should this stuff be reviewable? I, I vote no, because I don't want to slow the game down even more. I, I'm a fan of using the technology. Let's speed the game up. Let's know these results within, you know, two, three seconds that we could versus having to sit there for four or five minutes. <laughs> Was it a first down? Was it a first down? Where's the ball? Did his knee touch? Use the technology. And if we're using the technology for that, then I might be more in favor of it. But right now, that's one of my biggest complaints is, is half the time we go for review, it, it we see something, they call something else, oh, the play stands. But how can you have called that? We can see this right. because there's not, you know, the 100% you know, proof that that's what happened. And I think the game's slow enough, so I don't want to add it to it unless we make some other changes, such as bringing in technology. And it's surprising how often the announcers these days are like, I don't understand how they did or didn't overturn that. We're all seeing the same thing, and we're not getting the the, the results that we're, that we're and, looking and, for. And the part I love is the people in the booth. I, I mean, they're getting more camera angles than we are. Yeah. And they're wrong 50% of the time <laughs> watching the replays. This is what they're going to call. Oh, nope, I guess I'm wrong there too. Uh, so uh, back to a Geno Smith and Monday Night Football. The Seahawks are 3-1. and one. I don't think anyone really thinks they're like challenging the 49ers, but they're only a game behind. But in terms of the NFC, are, uh, is Pete Carroll doing his magic again? Yeah, Pete Carroll's a heck of a coach. I, I know there was a few years there that people really got on him. But this Russell Wilson trade got him a lot of good young ball players. He's turning the roster over again. They're overachieving. They overachieved last year. They're a good team, not a great team, but they're sitting at three and one. You know, most likely they're going to make the playoffs. And it's not like it's the most talented roster in football. He took Geno Smith. This guy could have been had by any team in the NFL for virtually nothing. And Geno Smith's now going into a second season as a starter. 
playing really good football. So, I mean, he, ironically, ironically, right now today, Steve, if you could only choose one of them, who would you want as your quarterback, Geno Smith or Russell Wilson? I would take Geno Smith because he's not making the stupid mistakes. Exactly. Um, so, on the other side of the ball Monday night was a little team called the New York Giants. They were in the playoffs last season. Giants had a home run hire with 2022 NFL Coach of the Year, Brian Dayball. I know you like him. Daniel Jones had a good season, so much so the Giants re-signed him to a big contract. And then we started playing football this season. The Giants look like one of the worst teams in football. They lost 24-3 to the Seahawks. The only reason they're not 0-4 is they had a second-half comeback against the Cardinals. They've been outscored 77-9 in the first half this season. The Giants are the only NFL team without a first-half touchdown. And a few of our listeners wrote in. Steven said, hello, Rob and Steve. Do you think or believe that if the New York Giants had a better offensive line, that Daniel Jones would have performed better in their loss to the Seahawks? And Matthew had a follow-up saying, remind me again why Daniel Jones got paid $160 million. He, for lack of a better term, effing sucks. Well, one, I, I think he could have been better with a better offensive line, but this this doesn't entirely fall on the offensive line. Daniel Jones prior to last year was a turnover machine. Last year was his last year of his contract. He needed to play great. He did. He was in a system. If I'm Brian Dable, I am so pissed off at Daniel <laughs> Jones because everything I showed him last year on how to play smart football, don't turn it over. I think he threw four interceptions the entire year, really didn't fumble. All of that has regressed back to the quarterback he was early on in his career. They gave him $160 million. He put it in his pocket and said, thank you very much, and I'm just going to do what I want to do, which has got to be so frustrating for the coaching staff, et cetera. In the meantime, Saquon Barkley, who got franchise tagged, he wanted the money, and he is such a big part of this offense because he helps take the pressure off of Daniel Jones. Didn't get any of his money. He's injured right now. That poor guy has just got to sit back and say, yeah, all the money they could have paid me and I would have performed for him now goes out the window because at times it looks like Daniel Jones just doesn't even care. I, I just, yeah, I know I'm supposed to play smart, but I think I can do it. And he's shown time and time again with his fumbles, his interceptions. You're just not a good quarterback. So, Steve, when we started the podcast beginning of the year, you had immediately, because of a lot of things going on, on and off the field, branded the uh, Las Vegas Raiders a dumpster fire. It's hard to argue with that. But I love that term so much. Are the New York Giants a dumpster fire this year? I, I think they're pretty close, and it's a shame because I, I think their head coach is really good. He's one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. But – Daniel Jones, and I don't see it getting better. I mean, you gave him, what was it, like a four-year, $160 million contract. I just don't see him getting back to the quarterback he was last year, which then means you got to go back into the draft, which takes a few years to develop the quarterback. So, yeah, I think they are a dumpster fire, and I, I think their you know, future is not very bright. Even though uh, they've expanded to 17 games, there's still, after the first four games, you're basically 25% through the season. This is where all that navel-gazing started, or starts, rather, uh, because for a lot of people, they know their season's over. So there's a, there's a few more potential dumpster fires. What about the Chicago Bears? They surrendered 24 unanswered points in a 31-28 loss to uh, the aforementioned Russell Wilson's Broncos. They fall to 0-4. This seems like a, a, a real mess on and off the field, and we've kind of talked about there's something else going on there with Justin Fields and the coaching and everything else. 
I don't know where the Bears were headed, except maybe the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Yeah, th- this is sad because I think Jay- Justin Fields has a lot of talent. We watched he throws what I believe it was four touchdowns last week. Their offense looks good. It's just it's Justin Fields versus the world. They don't have a whole lot of talent. The Bears are always known for a strong defense. Well, if you give the Bears defense a 28-7 lead, I believe it was, you expect the Bears to win that game. The defense couldn't even hold up there. It, it, the, the head coach, though, this week they are playing on Thursday night. The commanders, I believe they're a five-and-a-half-point <laughs> dog. But you got to start asking, if they go and lose this week, is their head coach fired? Uh, I mean, you got to start thinking about that. And because one of the problems you see, and you didn't see it so much last week, is he has his style, and Justin Fields' strength is designated runs, keep the defense on, you know, honest. And the head coach is just trying to make him a pocket quarterback, which is not what he is. He's playing him to his weaknesses. I think the Bears need to move on, and I'm curious to see if they go and lose and get embarrassed on Thursday night. Even if they lose by seven, do the Bears move on? And it wouldn't surprise me if they don't. So whenever you have winless teams, even though it's early, you start to – everybody does this. You have, you, have, you have undefeated teams and winless teams. Everybody starts to go, hmm, are they going to win at all? And uh, two winless teams, 0-4, the Bears and the Panthers. So you start looking down the schedule, right? And, and the Bears – I mean, they you, yeah, they play the Commanders uh, tomorrow night, and then they host the Vikings, not very good team. They host the Raiders, not very good team. The thing we know is this, Steve. There would only possibly be one team that could go winless, the Bears or the Panthers, because they play each other on Thursday, November 9th in what might be the worst game of the season by the time we get there because the Panthers, are they in dumpster fire mode? I don't think they're in dumpster fire mode. I, I like their head coach and Frank Reich. You know, Bryce Young was the number one pick. When you get the, you know, they had to trade up for it, but we know the Panthers are in rebuild mode, and that doesn't mean the Bears are not because the Bears are as well. But the Bears already have their quarterback. This is Justin Fields' third year into the league, I believe it is, and he's regressing. He He's not even looking as good as he did early on. I'm not a fan of Eberfluss, the head coach for the Bears. They don't have a very good defense. I think you got to give the Panthers a little bit of time. So to me, the Panthers are not in dumpster file fire mode. It wouldn't hurt to get a high draft pick. They don't need the quarterback. And I think they're making strides in the right direction. But this Bears team's a disaster. Okay, so so on the dumpster fire meter, uh, we've got the the Raiders are in there for all their own reasons. We've got the we, we've got the Giants in there because they're they're a mess. They got Daniel Jones, and what are they going to do? The Bears are are a dumpster fire. No, the Panthers not so much. Okay. Yesterday on ESPN, they were talking about this. We've been talking about this for a while. And and a lot of the, the, the analysts said, I can't believe we're having this discussion. They were discussing specifically, is Bill Belichick on the hot seat? Meaning, are the Patriots, who are one in three, the Patri- the vaunted Patriots, uh, are they somehow a dumpster fire? He, he pulled Mac Jones this weekend. He said it wasn't a benching. It was the worst loss of Belichick's career I know you've speculated, and I agree with you. If it's going to happen, it's going to be Bob Kraft putting his arm around Belichick going, look, buddy, we had a great run, but you need to you need to step away, and I hope you don't get a job uh, in, our, in our same conference, but we're done here, and allow Belichick to do it with some grace. But are we really that close to the end of the Belichick years in New England? I, I think we are. I, I don't have a lot of 
you know, highlights coming out of this Patriots team. I, I think they're in trouble. You want Belichick just to walk away at this point. They did make a trade. They traded for J.C. Jackson. He used to be their cornerback, all-pro cornerback, who signed a big free agent contract with the Chargers and has done nothing. Their rookie cornerback, they they drafted Gonzalez. He went down last week with an injury. If I'm correct, he was like the rookie player of the month last week, last month for September type of thing. He's out for the season. So I think Belichick's seeing it. He, he normally won't go out and trade for players during the season like he is. But Belichick's issue to me has been he's just been so stubborn. You know, he understands the 53-man roster, but you got to have some skill players who are really good at key positions, such as quarterback. Mac Jones, I don't think, is lighting it up to anybody. We all view him. He's probably a backup quarterback in the NFL. He hasn't gone out and gotten receivers for umpteen years. You know, he got Randy Moss for one year, but he's really never addressed that. He's always gone with the running back as – you know, by committee type of thing. So the certain skill positions that you have, he doesn't ever seem to want to invest in it. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was was sucked up by the 49ers. <laughs> they didn't even need another running back, but well, we're looking at him and he is right now the argument for MVP of the league. <laughs> Patriots could have gone out and got him. There's plenty of players they could have gone after, but Belichick is, it's his way. We all know it. And at times you just wonder, you know, is the game kind of moving past him and he doesn't fully grasp the importance of you do have to pay a couple of players in order to make your team and to keep your fan base interested. I know we can't, I don't think it would be fair to put Cincinnati in dumpster fire mode because of the situation, but they lost 27 to three to Tennessee and Joe Burrow looks broken and we talked last week about at what point do you shut Joe Burrow down? Are we there already? I would be there already. You look at it. And one of the things with Joe Burrow that I've liked is he's never been afraid to push the ball down the field. When you look at it, his you know yards per completion has always been near the top. I think like last year he had like the most touchdown passes of over 30 yards. He doesn't throw a pass over 10 yards in, in, in any game. He can't drive. You just watch it. It is, you know, as you would say, captain check down, <laughs> but that's all he can do. Shut him down. It, you, you have a bright future. You've signed him to a big contract. I know that he's playing because he wants to, and you have to respect that in a player that desire that, Hey, look, I can play while injured, but right now I don't think he's doing the team any favors at all. The defenses know it. So you might as well just shut him down, get him healthy and you know what? If you have a bad season, you get a great draft pick to get an offensive lineman or a pass rusher or something like that that can help him for the next several seasons. So to me, I shut him down now. Or or the other the other version of that, depending on how high they might get a draft pick with this quarterback heavy year, they don't need one. You can trade that pick for a bunch of picks and put a bunch more talent around him. And you can come out next year and be one of the three Super Bowl favorites. I and mean, they were just there. <laughs> Absolutely. It, you know, you just you have that value in that draft pick. And there are so many good quarterbacks and teams always overpay for quarterbacks. We've seen it for years and years and years. Daniel Jones. So, you know, go get a top eight pick and you can really move it like like the 49ers, Trey Lance. Look at what they gave up for Trey Lance and now they traded him for a fourth round pick. If you're the Bengals and you could go get a Trey Lance type of trade, 
Why wouldn't you? It would only help make you a Super Bowl contender for several years. So Sunday Night Football, Steve, there was so much hype around it, the Taylor Swift crap, but but also, you know, it should have been Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't. But, uh, and it seemed like it seemed like you were very resistant when I made this argument to you uh, uh, on Monday. I know neither one of us is big fans of Chris Collinsworth, but even during the game, they were commenting that there were moments where New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson looked like a real NFL quarterback. And and I saw them. I mean, he did. Yeah, he he fumbled the snap uh, at with what 724 or something remaining and the the Jets lost 23-20. But and he took ownership of it. You were talking earlier about take take ownership of your mistakes. Wilson said after the game, I lost this the game. I can't do that. It, are, I asked you this on Monday, and I think you said no. But my question again is, should we lighten up on Zach Wilson? No, <laughs> not at all. And yes, there has to be times when he looks like a real NFL quarterback. That's why he was drafted where he was. I believe it was the first pick in the draft. You can't get to that spot. No one's going to mistake me as a quarterback and, and even draft me into the NFL. So you have to have talent. It's what you do with that talent. And I just don't think he's ever going to fully produce to an elite quarterback status. He needs to stop his mistakes. He, If he can do what Daniel Jones did last year and just start playing smart quarterback, don't feel that you can make every throw, don't turn it over. Allow my defense to win games. Put me in situations. Complete enough good passes to keep the chains moving. He has value. He has not shown that consistently because even in last week's game, hey, look, he played good. It came crunch time. What's he do? He turns the ball over. These are the things you can't do if you want to be successful. He's trying. Maybe he will get there someday, but right now he can't. He's not. So I'm just not a big fan, and I'm not going to cut him slack until he can play clean, smart football and manage the game and keep his team in it. I did get a good laugh yesterday. Aaron Rodgers uh, was doing his weekly podcast thing, and and he pointed out, you know, in typical Aaron Rodgers way, he's crushing this rehab. He was supposed to be in a boot for 16 days. I guess he was in it for three days, and he he. The experts do say if you really work it, you don't have to be out six to nine months with his injury. You can be out four to five. And so that would put him early January. And I laughed when he when he was saying, yeah, you know, if we're still in it, I'm definitely planning on coming back. I'm like, the Jets are still going to be in it, not without some major trade quarterback in the first week of, of January. It's just not believable. And if the Jets are in it because they make a major trade at quarterback, are you really now going to go to Aaron Rodgers if you go out and get Kirk Cousins and he goes on reels off seven wins for you to put you in the playoffs? Good are you really benching him and going to Rodgers? And the other factor is, okay, this could all be true that maybe you can make it four or fives and cut that rehab time down. But are we talking about athletes in their 20s or are we talking about athletes close to 40 and or 41 or what however old Rodgers is I'm sorry I'm older my body doesn't heal like it used to if you would have said this is Justin Fields I would give you a possibility but saying yeah you know a quarterback close to retirement I have a hard time believing that his body is going to regenerate at that level to allow him to come back in four or five months by the way just on a on a personal level, because we've gone almost an hour and you just created a scenario that, yes, I agree with you, you probably wouldn't do it, but 
personally, I would love the scenario. Kirk Cousin goes to the Jets. He wins. Let's go with your scenario. Seven in a row, and he gets them into the postseason. And, yes, they bench him for Aaron Rodgers. I would laugh so hard at that story just because I just have such a thing. And I know you do, too, against Kirk Cousins. Um, all right. So also in Monday night, we talked a couple weeks ago. This is your real bailiwick, sports betting. Uh, about it's 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 everywhere. I forget the number you gave me. Thirty-two states now where it's legal. Thirty-eight, I believe. Thirty-eight. Okay, and 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 man, you have when you have a vested interest, it changes everything. Even if you're maybe not even a fan of both of of the teams or either of the teams. And so we talked about under the guise of the Sean McVay. Uh, why did you uh, why did you kick the field goal or and why didn't you go for it? And his explanation never made sense. This seems like a different story, but it didn't make anybody any less pissed off. Uh, the the Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes slid at the New York Jets' two-yard line, which sealed the 23-20 victory over the Jets Sunday night. Had he scored the touchdown and the extra point, that would have given the Chiefs a 10-point lead. Instead, he gave himself up. The Chiefs knelt. They ran out the final seconds. They secured the win. To me, when I'm looking at it just as a lifelong sports fan, I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's what we do. We don't If you don't have to bang at home, you don't. And why risk injuries, et cetera. But the Chiefs were an eight-point favorite for most. Uh, over the Jets, received an overwhelming support from the betting public. And obviously, if they score a touchdown and an extra point, they cover the spread with less than two minutes to play. So Mahomes slides, and that shifted tens of millions of dollars at sportsbooks around the nation. Adam Pullen, who's the assistant director of Caesars, said that the Chiefs covering the spread would have resulted in the best Sunday of the season so far for the betting public. So you had a lot of unhappy betters who said, why'd you slide? Patrick, but this isn't the same as the McVay thing, right? This this makes sense. Yes, it makes sense, and it's consistent with what just what has been happening over the last several years. It's about player safety. Take the kneel, don't run it, risk the injury for anyone unnecessarily. Which you know, if they score the touchdown, they have to kick off. Special teams comes out, and that's where a big majority of the injuries happen is on special teams. The part of the story that no one's even really talking about is the Chiefs opened a nine and a half point favorite. It was bet down to seven and a half to eight, which means the smart money was all coming in on the Jets, thus the line moving, mm. even though the public was all over the Chiefs <laughs> and betting it. So, what, 84% of the money may have been on the Chiefs, but all the big money, the smart money was on the Jets. And understand that with every wagering proposition, there's a winner on both sides. Just as a better, you need to be a little bit smarter because if you see the public on one side and that line drops, even though 90% of the tickets are on that side, I'm telling you right now, the other side's the place to be. Because if you're looking at going, why is that line dropping? It's so obvious. Everyone's betting the other side. Well, guess what? If you're betting the Chiefs side, as it showed, you're probably on the wrong side. I didn't look into it all how the betting went on this game, but I asked you if we should uh, lighten up on Zach Wilson. Got your answer of no. Is it is it time to slow our enthusiasm in the other direction? Uh, the Dolphins went out and got killed by the Bills, and after the Dolphins had just scored 70 points, I wonder how many people were thinking, "Well, the, the Dolphins will at least keep it close." No, they lost 48 to 20. Is that is that just look? You're playing one of the other best teams in the AFC, and things happen, or can we stop declaring that Miami's going to win the AFC championship for a while? 
it, it that defense, the defense to me has been an issue all season. The offense has been so good, and I don't think that's going to change. They have speed. They have talent at the skill positions. I think they're going to score a lot of points, but you look at the Dolphins' defense. They're one of the worst in the NFL in yards given up per play. They're giving up over 5.7 yards per play to their opponent. They're allowing their opponent. Uh-oh. We have frozen Steve Mickelson. Literally stuck there. Like Catch a, up. There you, when you are, you know, they're not every single when they play the opponent as we saw Bills, their defense not as good as people may wish they were. Uh production team. Yes. Do we maybe need to tell Steve to do a restart? Um, maybe. Uh, so uh, you know these things happen again. It's uh, it's live radio, live podcasting, uh, and a lot of our uh, a lot of our ability to do these shows relies on technology. Sometimes the <laughs> internet, sometimes connections, uh, and so uh, we we will uh, try to get a hold of Steve. Maybe we just need a, a reset there. Now there's Steve again. Let's hey, see. Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi. We kind of lost you a little bit there talking about the Dolphins. You started to break up again, uh, so we wanted to see. So did you just come back on your own there? Uh, yeah, it, it went out. I just hit click back on it. It popped back up and cool. I'm back live. So to summarize, defense in Miami is questionable. And yes, we can slow our roll a little bit. Yes. Offense is going to score plenty of points. The defense really though, is not even like a good defense. It's more towards a bad defense and the offense is able to cover it up. But when you play a quality team, that defense is going to get exposed. So here's the fun thing. We always like to describe this as, you know, guys sitting around a sports bar or whatever your living room talking. So right now today, are the Buffalo Bills the best AFC team? Yes. <laughs> That's not I a reluctantly, reluctantly <laughs> give that to you. Uh, I'm, I still think you got to, you know, unseed the Chiefs, though. But so in my power rankings, I do think the Bills are a little bit better but I have my questions with Josh Allen. And, you know, as we said at the beginning of the year, I have the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl, but I do think the Bills have more talent. Now, let's go to the Bills defense a little bit. Uh, it was just 10 months ago that their cornerback, Tredavious White, made his return to football a year after tearing his left ACL. And then on Sunday, four games into this season, he tears his right Achilles in the third quarter. It's not confirmed yet, but everybody basically is saying he's out for the year. Is that a big loss for the Bills defense? Yes, it is, especially as pass-happy as the league is. You know, when you have an all-pro cornerback, that's one of the positions you can't afford to lose because now your nickel has to step up and become a starter. So just the depth. You know, most teams like to go into the season with three quality cornerbacks, and and then you go from there. But when you lose an all-pro, one, there's not that many players that are that good, and to lose it is a serious blow to that defense because now you're playing a guy who should only be helping out when you're at a nickel or a dime defense. He's now got to be your starter, which just gets into the depth. But that's why, you know, you have to have a strong 53-man roster. The Bills do. They're one of the best teams with depth on that roster. But 
Injuries are a part of the game, but it is a big blow to the Bills' defense. So let's stay in the AFC. Everyone in the AFC South is 2-2. Two and two. The Texans, the Jags, the Colts, the Titans. Look, I know Pittsburgh's in kind of a rebuilding mode. They're not They're not the, the Steelers of the Roethlisberger years. I still think Mike Tomlin's an amazing coach, uh, but this is not their year. So, okay, Houston goes out and destroys Pittsburgh 30-6. to six. Uh, The division's wide open. The Texans? Seriously, we're talking about the Texans in a serious way. We were doing it last week on the podcast, and they have a pretty favorable schedule. They face the Jets, the Broncos, the Panthers. There's a lot of wins in there. I know we both like their head coach. They are the Texans maybe headed for an AFC playoff appearance? I'm not quite ready to say that. After week two, I was ready to say that this is a team playing for – you know, the number one draft pick so they could trade it away and get a big haul for a Caleb Williams. They have won the last two surprising win at Jacksonville and then an impressive win last week against Pittsburgh. But this gets into that, you know, CJ Stroud was their number one draft pick, but he's playing smart football. He's four games into the season and I don't believe he's even thrown an interception yet. He's got six touchdowns. He's averaging 300 yards. He's playing smart football Move the ball, allow your defense to step up. Don't turn it over. Don't make bad decisions on the field. He is really playing as a quality game manager. He's giving the Texans a chance to win, and they're winning. Hats off to D'Amico Ryans. He's done an amazing job. They are in contention for that. I just I don't think they're going to win this division. Who who do you like then? If it's not if it's not the Texans, Jags, Colts, or Titans, if you had to bet, you would say I, I still like the Jaguars. Really? I think they have too much talent. Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback. He's one of the best young quarterbacks in the in the league. He just needs some wide receivers to throw to. I, I'm not sold that his wide receivers are top notch. They have to get that for him. And I'd like to see you know, the team open it up a little bit, let them throw a little bit more, let them run like we saw him do in college and, and you know, use him more. He He's throwing a lot of short passes right now because that's what the defenses are giving him. But I think the Jags are the most talented team in that division. We got two undefeated teams after only four, uh, four weeks, four and oh, uh, and the Eagles look, a win is a win. I, I grant you that, but they needed overtime to beat the commanders Commanders seem to be somewhat surprisingly better than a lot of us thought, but an overtime win against Washington seems like we got to we gotta give them a little bit of a bop on the head in terms of the power rankings. They're still undefeated. I get it. But right now, today, doesn't seem like they're at the level of, say, the other undefeated team, the 49ers. I don't think they are at the level. You know, they're coming off a Super Bowl loss. That normally sets teams back. Historically speaking, that team really struggles the the following year and really struggles to get into the playoffs. They're sitting at 4-0. They got a really good offense. But keep in mind, they lost their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator. Both took head coach jobs elsewhere. It's tough to have that much change in your coaching staff and expect to compete at the level. They've also had a couple of injuries, but it's still a really talented team. I I think they're going to be there at the end. Jalen Hurts has great wide receivers. He doesn't seem to make the mistakes. They're a really good team. They're one of the best in the NFL. They're just not quite as good as the 49ers. Before we get to the Niners, uh, what did, what does it say about the Commanders and the way they played against one of easily the best teams in, in the NFL? The Commanders, Sam Howell, 
Sam Howell has looked really good in a couple of games. Last This last week, he looked great. The week before, he was awful through four interceptions against Buffalo. Didn't look like he even deserved to be a starting quarterback in the league. When he's on and playing smart football and has the opportunities, he's done a really good job. They're, they're sitting at two and two. They have lost their last two. I'm real curious to see what happens on Thursday night when they play the Bears, because to me, the Bears are playing for their head coach. The, the Bears go and get embarrassed on Thursday night. I think he's fired. He, he's gone by the end of the weekend. So you're going against a Bears team that is playing for their head coach. And if I'm the head coach, I'm not, I'm pulling out all the stops because I need to keep my job. So if they go and they drop this game to the Bears, you know, they're right back to, hey, look, we started 2-0. and We've lost three straight now. You know, we got the Falcons at Atlanta. Then we're at the Giants. But then we got the Eagles, the Patriots, the Seahawks. I, I got Dallas coming up in week 12. The their season's pretty much over. I, I think they need to win this game. The, the Commanders are a better team going into the season than I thought people believed. But, you know, they're still middle of the pack at best. So the Niners, they let the Cardinals get within five of them at one point. But overall, they were... They were dominating. They played a good game. The thing that a lot of us didn't like as Niner fans was the defense gave up some really big plays. And if we go back to your comments about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, I, I view it through that prism. I was never worried that the Niners were going to lose to the Cardinals. But I start thinking about Jalen Hurts, running quarterback, throwing quarterback, the ability to throw big plays, and I see the Arizona Cardinals being able to do that. And it, and I know it's, it's nitpicking because otherwise the Niners looked amazing, but – that was the thing that I took away from the, the Sunday Niners win. Yeah, they're the best team right now in the NFL, but they've got to shore up not letting those big plays happen. And the, the, the part I find amazing is the last two weeks we've discussed the Niners and their shaky defense. They've won by 18 against the <laughs> Giants. Know. They won by 19 last week against the Cardinals. Okay. The fans are questioning the 49ers, and they're winning by 18, 19, 20 points, and you're not happy. You can't be college football and win every game 50 to 3. Why? A win's a win. Live to play to the next week. You have the Cowboys, and even though the Cardinals beat the Cowboys, which I think was a blessing to the 49ers because it said, hey, look, we can't take them lightly. You cannot tell me. The coaching staff was not watching film on the Cowboys and getting a little bit prepared for their big game coming up this weekend. Not as much as they would have, but again, you're unhappy with an 18 point win, a 19 point win. Give me a break. No, I'm unhappy with them giving up a 99 yard drive for the first time in a year or whatever. It was. I know it's ridiculous. All right. So you alluded to this earlier, Steve, there are a lot of people and there are a lot of people who think this is an overreaction who are saying, could Christian McCaffrey be a non-quarterback MVP for the season? His numbers are absurd. Four touchdowns, 177 yards from scrimmage during their 35-16 victory over the Cardinals. He has now scored a touchdown in 13 consecutive games. That broke the team record that was held by legend Jerry Rice. The last non-quarterback to win the NFL Most Valuable Player was 13 was 11 years ago rather adrian peterson uh, running back for the minnesota vikings mccaffrey is on pace for absurd numbers if he keeps it up doesn't get injured 1950 rushing yards and 600 receiving yards with 30 touchdowns if he kept up the pace it's a quarterback league quarterbacks have won like 75 percent of the mvp since they started it is, is it even legitimate to be mentioning it 
I think it's absolutely legitimate. I, I think he's got to be close to the front runner. He's not going to be the front runner, but I got to put him in the top three. He has six rushing touchdowns so far. He has a receiving touchdown as well. He's got seven. Oh, there, there it, is. it is. There's that emergency action network thing that all the cell phones are getting. Yep. Oh, for God. Muted mind. I hope that it would uh, go away and not actually happen. Uh, but his numbers are huge. You then look at, I believe the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. Brock Purdy is not going to be a serious contender for the MVP, which then falls to Christian McCaffrey. So I think you have to put him in there if they are the top team in the NFL and it's not going to be from their quarterback position. He's been amazing since he's gone to the 49ers. Again, we talk about Belichick could have had him. He didn't go out and trade for him. You know, all 31 other teams could have made an offer that was good enough to get him. They chose not to. Credit to the 49ers. They didn't really need the position, but they understood that by getting him, they became an elite team, and that's what they are. It's so funny. I remember the day that trade was announced, and I was texting, I know with you, but also another buddy who's a Niners fan, and my reaction was, yeah, he's a great player, but why did we need him? Put anybody, put me back there. You know, this is this is like that thing for the last many years. Anybody can play running back for this Niners uh, offensive line. But man, has McCaffrey revolutionized this team in a way that I just, I did not see at the time. And it's nuts. Yeah. And, and when we were texting back and forth, my concern was salary. You're a high paid team in the first place. Who's it going to cost? on this roster because you got to pay McCaffrey. He's not coming over here. You know, you have to make him one of the top, if not the top paid running back in the league. So that means money's not going to go somewhere else. And that was my concern with it was who are they going to end up ultimately having to lose in order to keep him? But man, he, he really opened up this, this offense tremendously, which was a really good offense in the first place. He just basically made him unstoppable for the fo- most part. So let's look forward to week five. We've mentioned it a few times tomorrow night, Thursday night football. Uh, there was a, a, a gif that was going around of uh, Al Michaels last week promoting this game, and you could hear the disdain in his voice for the the matchup of the uh, the winless Bears and the Commanders. Uh, what is the spread on this game, Steve? Right now the Commanders are a five-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. And I think the Bears are playing for their life. But the Commanders, you know, if you really want to be taken seriously, you need a win. You can't be dropping three straight games. Do you think you laid out the the the, the Bears, their, their coach will throw everything against the wall? Because if you're thinking it, he has to be thinking, I don't know if I'll survive if we lose. Is that enough for this Bears team? Because, man, the Commanders look like they are far superior to the Bears. And you're right, it would be devastating if they lost. But they're at home. Do you really give the Bears a, a punching shot? I think if you allow Justin Fields to play football the way that he excels at, set up some design runs, allow him to roll out, use his wide receivers, don't contain him, you know, just let him play his game. I think the Bears got a shot to win. Problem is, is until last week, they didn't allow it at all. They let him play his game last week, at least for the beginning. Then they just bottled him back up again and watched the Broncos come roaring back because they thought they had a win and their defense was good enough. Just let them play because 
again, I've watched a lot of Bears games, and I feel so bad for him because it literally is Justin Fields versus the world because there's no one else out there who looks like they can help him in any way. So if you look at week five, and there's a couple weeks, at least a couple weeks every season, usually one early and usually one late, maybe there'll be one in the middle, where you look at the games on paper and you go, these are all terrible games, or these are all terrible matchups, or they're all lopsided, or they're all easy. And historically, by my memory, I don't have any data to back this up. Those can be the weeks where you get really screwy results. And if you're if you're playing parlay cards or if you're just doing winners and losers, you can have a, a week where you go six and six or whatever based on on the buy. And there's a lot of those matchups this weekend. Like in Jacksonville going into Buffalo. Okay. I mean, seriously, do they have a shot? Houston and Atlanta, I don't know. Your Lions are hosting the Panthers, who we already went over how awful they are. I mean, there's a lot of games. And that scares me, Steve, other than the Sunday night game that just don't seem like they're that good of a matchup. Now, Derek Carr played last weekend. Not sure that he should have or needed to. The New Orleans Saints got to go into New England. That doesn't seem like an exciting matchup, but it does seem like one that could go either way. And a lot of these that don't seem like great games seem like they could go either way, which would make them great games. Yes. The interesting part is, is say last week, there was only about three or four games that I even had any interest in that things set up this week that you're looking at it and saying what you are. I have eight games penciled as these are eight games that I am going to do a much deeper dive into to see who I like here. So from the handicap standpoint, this is a much better week for me to mm-hmm. go and find these games because yeah, they may not be competitive. They're not good matchups. But a lot of the times, those are the games you want to go after. I-, I can tell you right now, one of the games I really like is the Falcons at minus two at home against the Texans. Wow. You know, the Texans have won the last two games, but they lost another offensive lineman this last week. Three of their starting five offensive linemen are out. Well, the Texans can't run the ball. They have to throw, but the Falcons pass defense is really good. So I can tell you right now, I am really looking at the Falcons in this spot. Bill's huge emotional win last week. Don't be surprised if they let down a little bit against (laughs) Jacksonville. And the game's being played in London, but Jacksonville played this last Monday there. They've played a lot of games over there. You look into that letdown theory. You know, are the Bills going to let down a little bit? Do I think the Bills should win? Yes, I do. Do I think the game should be closer than people are thinking? Yeah, if you're going to give me six points into this game, I got to look at the Jags. So while you're saying that, I'm looking at it from the handicapping standpoint. I get it. You know, and and it's about cash and tickets. When you're making a bet on the game, you don't want it to be close. You don't want to sweat the game. You want to win by 40. So that's the way I'm looking at this week. What about a game like the Ravens at the Steelers? This is a historic rivalry. These two franchises have had their battles. Pittsburgh is not Pittsburgh, but. This is that home underdog thing as well when we get into the betting side of it. Uh, Puncher's chance for Pittsburgh? They are. Historically, this is one of those series that you always want to just take the team if you're getting three points. They always play close. But Kenny Pickett is most likely out for the Steelers. He got hurt at the end of the game. You're talking Mitch Trubisky coming in as the starting quarterback for the Steelers. They have some issues What you expect to be a strong rushing attack hasn't materialized. And the Ravens, even though they've had a lot of injuries, continue to perform. The Ravens just keep on winning, even though they've had the injuries. 
huge win last week at Cleveland to put the Browns in their place. This is one of those I'm leaning towards the Ravens because I think the Steelers are in a lot of trouble right now. What about, okay, what about a game like the undefeated Eagles? They got to go across the country. The Rams don't seem like they're as bad as we expected them to be. That doesn't necessarily make them a great team, but they're in Los Angeles. They're at home. Eh, What about that one? That's a game I'm actually looking at the Eagles. The the line dropped down to four. Oh, four. Going up against the the line dropped down to four. You do have some four and a halfs out there, but that's one of those that I'm looking at the Eagles. I think they are a far better team than the Rams. The Rams did have the win last week in overtime uh, against the Colts, but kind of in a sense, this Eagles offense has struggled a bit. They haven't been all that impressive. I think they need to make a statement here. It's on the road. It's a low price. They have had a few injuries. I just think the Eagles are a far better team. And if I only got to lay four, I I think you kind of got to look at the Eagles in this game. So going back to the handicapping side of it, how do you even, where are we with the the Bengals? Because we don't even know, right? I haven't heard. I I checked before we started the podcast. We don't even know if Joe Burrow is going to play. We know that if he does, he looks terrible. He shouldn't play. Uh, how do you, how they're at the Cardinals. How do we even, how's that game handicapped right now? That's why you have to watch the injury reports, see who's practicing through the course of the week. Bengals right now are a three point favorite against the Cardinals. Cardinals have looked really good in the first half in pretty much all the games this season. And, you know, they did beat the Cowboys and hold on, but the second half they've fallen off but I'm not sold that Joe Burrow is healthy in any way. We've discussed it, you know, in full detail. That's a game I'm leaning. I'm pulling out of because I can't trust the Cardinals. Even if I'm getting three at home, I can't trust the Cardinals because I still don't think they're a really good team at all. (laughs) And I don't trust the Bengals because I don't, I don't think Burrow is healthy. So to me, that is one of the games that, that I've already scratched off. I'm, I'm not interested in going there. For me to take the Cardinals, I'd need six, and you'd, you'd be crazy to make the Bengals six so, in this game. So what So what about a game where we have two horrible teams this year? But that means it could be a very close game, like the Jets traveling to play against Denver. The Broncos are playing better. The Broncos' issue isn't their offense. It's their defense has been really bad. If you believe in the Zach Wilson and he played much better in that last game, you can look at the Jets. They're getting one and a half or two points, but for the most part, that's saying that they need to win this game. But the Jets defense has also not been as good as I've expected. Russell Wilson's doing a good job with that offense. They're scoring points. It's their defense has been awful. Can the Jets go into Denver, pull the upset, and win the game? Because at one and a half, two points, you're basically saying they need to win the game. I'm not so that Zach Wilson is the guy to win that game. Uh, I got to know, what is the spread on the Chiefs at the Vikings? Because that's such a lopsided matchup on paper. You're looking at the Chiefs as a four-point favorite in that game, which, again, sounds small. But the Chiefs defense, I mean, Kirk Cousins is on. He can move the ball. He can score. The Chiefs historically are also not a very good cover team. They win. They usually don't cover. When they are big favorites like we saw last week at that nine, nine and a half, it did go down to eight. The Chiefs are terrible at covering big spreads. 
you're sitting at four, but you know, Chiefs can win by three and you're still throwing your ticket in the trash. <laughs> so, okay. Before we get to the big marquee matchup, you said you had eight games that you were really watching. What, what did, what did I miss? What did I, what did I say? What did I just gloss over that? You're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I'm really watching this one. Well, one of the games I'm looking at is the Bears Commanders. I'm looking at the total. The thing that worries wow. me there is this total has gone down now to 44. The The Bears defense has not been good. The Commanders defense, I mean, offense is scoring. So you're looking at the Bears defense giving up. I think it's 30 points a game right around in there. And the Commanders defense hasn't been the best either. To me, these two teams should be able to score. If you allow Justin Fields to play, you got to believe the bears can put up 20 some points and you like the commanders. So that's one of them that I'm looking at is the over in that game. The problem is when I see the line dropping, because early in the week, it's going to be smarter money. It's not the public money because the public wants to see injuries and everything going on. So that has me a little bit concerned there. Uh, I can tell you, I like the Panthers plus nine and a half against the lions. And I know it's my lions team, but the Lions defense got torched by the, the Seahawks. You know, if the Seahawks uh, Panthers can put up a passing attack with Bryce Young, move the ball, continue to move the chains, I don't expect the Lions to lose. I just don't think the Lions are going to blow them out. So I'm looking at the nine and a half in that spot. And believe it or not, I, I have a little interest in the Raiders. You know, it's moved to the Packers as a one-point favorite. I'm not sold that the Packers should be favored in this game. So that's another game I'm looking at. It doesn't mean I'm playing these. These are just games that I'm going into, you know, looking at that. And, you know, as we roll into the big game of the day, you know, the 49ers have moved from a three-and-a-half-point favorite up to a four-point favorite. I like the Seahawks. I mean, I like the Cowboys plus the four. I'm expecting a really good game. I just think there's some value. If I can get the Cowboys plus four, keep the game close, that might be a game I'd look at teasing up to, say, 10, 10 and a half, depending on the point spread. But And it wouldn't hurt my feelings to see the 49ers lose because they need at least one loss on that resume to take the pressure off of them. So, and the Cowboys might be able to do it. Before we get to, to that and why you're making me angry, uh, the Vegas game, that's interesting because it's in Las Vegas. And, and man, if the Raiders lose again, it, it's mm-hmm. like the, the death knoll is, is ringing for Josh McDaniels. I mean, I could see them losing easily, but that seems like another one of these games where, I mean, you said maybe the Packers shouldn't even be favored. And I'm wondering what the, what the fallout is if the Raiders lose again. Exactly. Monday night, national TV at home against the Packers. This is a game your, your players got to step up. You have to play a good game. You have to show that we are the team we thought going into the season that would contend for a playoff spot. You can't, you know, Jordan Love has had his moments. He's looked good, but he's not completing a ton of passes here. You need to pressure him. You have to, and I say it every week, you got to find a running game. I mean, Josh Jacobs, I think, like his top game, he's rushed for like 60-some yards. You, you haven't even gotten him to 70 yet in any game. You got to find something here. You got to step up because you're on national TV, and it's time for you to play a good game. All right, so to the marquee match of Sunday Night Football, uh, NBC is the big winner this uh, this weekend. Okay, now uh, a couple things. First of all, it sounds like you think the Cowboys are going to keep it close. Yes, I do. 
Um, and it is, it's a rivalry. And look, you and I do agree. I, I, as a fan of the Niners, I don't want the Niners to be 10 and 0 or, or worse, 14 and 0. It gets, it gets into the players' heads. It distracts you from what you're supposed to be focused on, et cetera. But I don't want them to lose to the Cowboys because they're the Cowboys. It doesn't even have to do, it only makes it worse that my wife is a Cowboys fan. She's already planning the menu and all this other thing. That's why it can't be, it can't be, you can't lose to the Cowboys. And I, I, I want to believe the Niners are going to go out and they're going to make a statement that says, oh, hey, guys, you remember us? We knocked you out of the playoffs the last two years. And it was interesting. Um, Jerry Jones, on his, uh, his he does a weekly appearance on Dallas radio. And I don't know if he's trying to get into everybody's head because Jerry's always thinking. He said the road to the Super Bowl goes through San Francisco. Gave him all this praise. Now, how that plays psychologically, he's not wrong right now. So I'm looking for, yes, a good game would be fun. But I'm looking for the Niners to make a statement against the Cowboys. Would you rather them make a statement now in October or in January when it really matters? Well, I mean, that's a false choice. They can do both. They can make a statement against the Cowboys, and then they can lose to some tomato can that we all look past in a few weeks. It it would be a nice statement here. And if I'm the 49ers, I'm looking to make that statement. I'm at home, Sunday night game, national TV. It's usually the biggest draw of any game, and it will be. It's the marquee game of the whole weekend. I just something says for me, and I'm not a Cowboys fan. I, I if the 49ers won by 30, it wouldn't hurt my feelings in any way. But this is one of those I'm looking at going, I think the Cowboys can keep it close. Well, and if you're going to give me four, I, I seriously, I can't lay the four with the 49ers. No, I, I get that. I, I can and, tell you that right there. And, and, and I can't. If you, if you objectively look at this the opposite way of the way you just presented the Niners, it's Sunday night, it's national TV, and what I mentioned. These are basically the same Cowboys the last two seasons that have been sent home by the 49ers. So they they have an emotional investment in making a statement as well. And I think they overlooked the Cardinals because I think they've been preparing. When they saw the schedule come out, I believe the Cowboys starred this game on their schedule, and this is the game. We got, you know, the games with the Eagles are always huge because it's going to determine who wins the division. But you can't tell me that the Cowboys didn't star this game and say, look, this is the game we have to make a statement, show that we can compete with the 49ers, and they are not the team that's always going to dominate us. I think they, and if they come out flat and lose to the 49ers, and what happens to the Cowboys then? Now you're looking at them going, ugh. Are they the team that we saw lose to the Cardinals and now they got dominated by the 49ers? Now you can't even put them in contention as one of the elites. So to me, this is a huge game for the Cowboys. And I do like that, of course, Dallas stars games. They don't circle them because they're the Cowboys. All right, that does it for this episode of of Mixed Picks. You want to hear more from Steve. He joins us every Monday and Friday during football season uh, on radradio.com. You can always be part of our Pigskin Picks. You see how we're doing as we do winners and losers, no point spreads. Uh, And uh, we will be back next week for Mixed Picks. Thanks, Steve. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Thank you. Have a wonderful week and let all of your bets come in as winners. (laughs) 